Raise your hand if you've ever used a vending machine. Yeah, I think we've all used a vending machine, right? <coughs> so you know if you've used a vending machine, you know that they can either be uh, your best friend or your worst enemy. Sometimes vending machines are great. Uh, you're ready for your mid-afternoon snack, and so you go to the vending machine all excited about the Twix that you're about to eat, and you put your dollar bill in, uh, you push the numbers, the machine pushes it forward, it drops to the ground, you pick it up, and you leave. No problems. But then there are times when the vending machine is your worst enemy. Again, it's mid-afternoon snack, uh, you know, lunch is over, you got about two hours before you go home, and you need that afternoon pick-me-up. And so you go to the vending machine all excited about your Twix. You're thinking about the, the cookie caramel chocolate crunch, and you can almost taste it. You get to the machine, you insert your dollar, lost in your own thoughts about uh, how the Twix is just the best candy bar. And it's really the best bang for your buck because you get two candy bars for the price of one. And you start to wonder, how come not everyone buys Twix? It just seems like a waste of money to get any other candy bar. And as you're thinking about this, all of a sudden the machine makes a noise that wakes you up. It has rejected your dollar. And it spits it back out at you. And so you make, you, you make sure that you put it in right and you try it again, but again the machine spits it back out at you. Reject it. And so then you do what everyone does, right? You take the dollar and you go up to the side of the machine and you try to get all the crinkles out <laughs> and you try to flatten it out. You make sure that all the corners are, are straight and you insert the dollar again and it rejects it again. And now you start getting a little upset because you need that Twix. You need that chocolate to get you through the rest of the day. You need that break. And, and so you insert it one more time and it rejects it again. And now you start saying things like, this is ridiculous. This dollar is a dollar bill. You're not trying to rip the machine off. It's, it has the same value that another dollar has. Just because your dollar is worn out, crinkled, and, and worn out doesn't mean that it's not of any less value than the fresh, pristine, brand new dollar bill. And yet it rejects your dollar. We might not like to admit it, but we have more in common with that machine than we'd like. We have a tendency to accept those who are fresh, crisp, have it all together, and tend to ignore those that are maybe worn out, crinkled, and not so together. And that's because human nature causes us all to play favorites. Having favorites isn't foreign to us, right? We all have favorites. We have a favorite food. We have favorite drinks. We have a favorite memory, uh, a favorite TV show or movie. Uh, we have a favorite color. We have a favorite memory. We know what favorites are. And yet today... As we continue in our study of anatomy of a Christian and what makes up a Christian, James tells us that favoritism of people has no business in the Christian life. We are in the book of James. Uh, again, the, the book of James was originally a letter written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, to Jewish Christians scattered throughout the, the uh, Holy Land around 60 A.D., 
And we pick up in James chapter 2, and, and James tells us favoritism is not for Christians. We start with verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? James accuses the Christians at this time of plain favoritism. And he brings up a, a situation that wasn't foreign to them. This was what was happening in the church. He says, suppose a rich man comes in wearing nice clothes and and rings and a poor man comes in. And he says, if you give the rich man a prominent seat just because he's rich, you are discriminating. You are playing favorites. And if you make the poor man sit on the floor just because he's poor, you're discriminating and you're showing favoritism to the rich man. Uh, During the culture at that time, uh, seats like we have and and benches, uh, they were few and far between. They weren't very common. And so only the prominent people had seats. So for them to say to the poor man, sit on the floor, uh, it's not as harsh as it sounds because the majority of people sat on the ground. Uh, Only the prominent had seats. But what's James' point? If you give the prominent seat to the rich man just because he's rich, You are showing favoritism. You are discriminating, and that is wrong. And we see this every day in America, don't we? We see discrimination and favoritism played out everywhere. A judge doesn't take uh, into account all the facts of the case, but rather is skewed by the man's reputation who's standing before him. An employer isn't supposed to consider age, race, or gender when hiring, and yet the best applicant doesn't always get the job. In many cases, uh, the job actually goes to somebody that the employer knows, and he or she hires them. Uh, At school, teachers overlook some of uh, what students do because they are friends with those students' teacher or with those students' parents. In our lives, we see this same thing play out, don't we? We don't want to admit it, but we are more willing to help someone that that we're friends with, someone that we have a relationship with, uh, than the person down the street who we don't really like. They're annoying, and so we actively don't help them because we don't want anything to do with them. It's going to be a long day if we do. We rather talk to people who look like us, act like us, talk like us, and kind of ignore those who don't. And what's even worse is it comes into the church here, doesn't it? 
Have you ever not invited someone to church because of how it's going to look on you, how it's going to reflect on you? Have you ever hoped that someone who you met out out in public, have you ever hoped that they don't come here because, well, they're not like us. They might scare other people away. Have you ever... Well, let's talk about the, the, what James was talking about. What if a, a rich man came in, someone wearing a suit, and someone also came in who was poor, wearing raggedy clothes? Who would you be more likely to talk to? Who would you be more likely to sit by? Human nature causes us to play favorites. And James tells us it's a sin. He says no matter how you slice it, favoritism is a sin. Here's what he says. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So James says, if you really want to keep the royal law, in other words, love others as yourself, you won't show favoritism. Because favoritism is a sin. How is it a sin? Well, when we discriminate against somebody, it's not loving others as yourself, right? When you're showing favoritism to one person and not another, that's not loving others as yourself. If we are to keep this law, that means we show love and favor to everyone equally. You see, love doesn't get caught up in these superficial uh, aspects of wealth, quality of clothing, age, race, gender. It doesn't consider that. And love overlooks any uh, negative, negative qualities in a person. It overlooks all of them. Love shows favor to everyone. And when we don't do that, it's a sin. So the question is, can you have a best friend? Is that okay? Of course it's okay. Of course you can have a best friend. But what this means is that you don't favor that friend over others just because you like them better. You show favor and love to everyone. And James says when we don't do that, it's a sin. And how serious of a sin is it? Look, he says, if you don't keep it, it's on the same par as committing adultery, murder, It makes us a lawbreaker. If we stumble at just one point, we are guilty of breaking all of it. Why? Because the same holy and perfect God who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. And the same holy and perfect God said don't show favoritism. And in our world, I I think you would agree that If someone is showing favoritism, people look at it as a minor thing. Well, that's not as as bad as uh, adultery or murder. And we've kind of got these levels of sin. 
But in God's eyes, a sin is a sin. I told this story uh, on Wednesday night, so if you heard it, I apologize because you're going to hear it again. But uh, a couple weeks ago, I was doing the dishes and I was washing a glass. And uh, after I washed it, I nicked it against our uh, granite countertops. And I looked, it didn't shatter, but I looked and there was a crack in it. And so I'm, I'm a bit of a pat, uh, pack rat and I don't throw things away easily. And so instead of just throwing it away right away, I had to see if it would hold water because if it did, I'd put it back up in the counter until Ann found it and threw it away. <laughs> um, so I filled it up with water and I, I held it up and immediately water was coming out through the crack so I had to throw the glass away. You see, a lot of times the world likes to think of favoritism as just a small little crack. It's not like we shattered ourselves. And yet in God's eyes, a crack or shattered is on the same par because both ways cannot contain holiness any longer. Holiness leaks out whether it's a crack or if we're shattered. But thankfully for us, God's mercy triumphs. James says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy, if you want a definition of mercy, it's just not giving someone what they deserve. And so what do you and I deserve? Because we cannot contain holiness, we deserve for God to throw us out like a a broken glass. Because in God's eyes, if we can't contain holiness, we aren't worth keeping around anymore. And yet He doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, He has chosen to repair us and make us new. And that's what He did through Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, He shed His blood to make us new. Uh, He didn't fix us and make us whole with uh, putty or superglue. He did it with His holy and precious blood. Essentially, here's what Jesus did. If you want to take that glass, we'll keep going with that. If you want to take that glass and it represents our life, God demands that we be perfect and whole like a complete glass. And yet when He looked at us, we have destroyed our glass. We have broken it, shattered it, cracked it. Jesus came to this earth, God himself, and he lived perfectly. His glass was never broken. His glass was never cracked. And Jesus looked at our glass and he said, what you need is a complete and full perfect glass. Here, I will give you my glass, you give me your broken one, and I will even take the punishment you deserve for breaking this glass. And that's what he did on the cross. He took the punishment so that we would be forgiven. And so when God looks at you, he he doesn't see someone who's broken. He doesn't see someone who's cracked. He doesn't see someone who's shattered. He sees someone who is perfect and whole because of Jesus. He sees someone whose sins have been completely forgiven. And he's done it all that you might have heaven. Praise God for His mercy, right? Praise God He doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, He gives us what we don't deserve. 
And that's what we call God's grace. He gives us His forgiveness. He gives us life, complete, fullness, perfection. And He's given it all, us all through Jesus. And it's really, when we step back and, and we realize the, the lengths that God has gone to to save us, that is what fills us with mercy for others. Because we realize that we are all in the need of this same mercy. And so it helps us to not show favoritism. It helps us to be impartial uh, because we know that everyone needs what we need. And we aren't better than anyone else. And we want others to see that. Because when others see that, they can see what's really in our hearts. And that is Jesus. And so here's our takeaway today. Our impartiality reveals our true identity. In other words, when we don't show favoritism, it reveals who we really are. And who are you? You are a blood-bought child of God. Jesus lives in your heart. The risen Lord lives in here. You are complete and holy in God's sight. In a world that shows favoritism and discrimination, we are called to live differently. We are called to live with mercy and show others mercy the way that God has shown us mercy. And so we talk to the people who might be harder to talk to and have a a harder personality. Uh, We help those who need help regardless of who they are. We don't take into account people's gender, age, race, occupation, wealth. We are all on the same par in front of God's eyes. We are all in the need of God's mercy. Martin Luther, uh, the church reformer in the 1500s, he was quoted as saying, We are all beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. If you want to put it in that glass analogy, we are all simply broken glass showing other broken glasses where to be made whole again. That's what we are. And when we don't and when we show impartiality, when we don't show favoritism, we show we understand this. We show that we understand that we are all in the need of God's mercy, love, and forgiveness. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your background is. And when we show impartiality, we're really keeping that royal law, which is to love others as ourselves. That's a way that we keep this commandment. Praise God that He's not like a vending machine. That He only accepts the fresh, the pristine, uh, the, the clean-cut people. Rather, He wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We pray that He fills our hearts with strength as we go out and we live a life for Him. Amen. Please stand. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for the mercy that you have shown us. We ask that you fill our hearts with strength today as we go out and live a life for you. Help us to uh, not show favoritism, but uh, to love others in the way that you have loved us. Amen.